Hello, welcome to Art Lives. I'm Elizabeth De La Mater. This is a special episode of Art Lives that I'm posting to honor Dr. Clifford Alexis, who passed away at age 82 on Tuesday. Cliff was a virtuoso musician and composer, an innovative steel pan builder, a brilliant educator and mentor, and friend to people all over the world. People have shared incredible stories this week about Cliff, how he cared for them, and how he changed their lives. I will never be able to express what he means to me. I met him in 1992. He saved my life more than once. And that's all I can say. This is an interview I did with Cliff in 2008 for my doctoral dissertation. In the 1980s and 90s, there was a lot of misinformation about the origins of the steel pan in Trinidad and Tobago, where Cliff is from. Many first and second generation steel pianists did not speak about their shared history, Cliff included. Finally, in the early 2000s, more players and pan builders agreed to speak on the record, and Cliff finally agreed to speak to me. He has said some of this information in other interviews, but in this one, he includes wonderful details, including his stuff about his touring years in the 1970s, uh, how he learned to love teaching, and of course, he's honest and hilarious. I'm so glad that the medium of podcasting exists so that I can share this with you now. Here is Dr. Cliff Alexis. I was born in East Portland, Spain, which was called Behind the Bridge. I was born in an area that was considered in American so-called language ghetto area. In Trinidad it was called the underprivileged area. But um, a lot of people didn't, didn't, didn't um, let that stop them being born in that area. Um, at that particular time, you know, people come from all over the, the Caribbean. It's a kind of melting pot. Like for instance, my grandfather came from Grenada. Where could he settle? And they come to Trinidad in, in an area that maybe he could afford a little rent or a little hut or something like that. I didn't know he came from Grenada. But um, my grandfather came from Grenada. My grandmother came from, on my mother's side, Alexis. Came from Grenada and, and my mother, grandmother came from um, Tobago. On my father's side, which I don't really know much, too much, because my father died when I was 11, my mother died when I was 5. That's right. I didn't, um, my father's side was from another area called Marval, uh-huh. you know, Creole people, you know. I think they said that my father, mother, had gone to Venezuela and he was born there and they brought him back to Trinidad because he looks something similar hmm. as a mixed person from Venezuela. Anyhow, um, my beginnings of pan to, to me was heard in my mother's womb. Mm-hmm. I was born with one, with one there's several first in Trinidad, but I was born with one of the first steel barns started. Steel barn called the Hill 60. Yeah. And um, 
I was quite young, eight, nine, ten, eleven, seven, five, six, four, whatever you call it. I grew accustomed to seeing um, people with the biscuit can or the biscuit thin, as they say, around their neck, and a man with a iron up and down the street. I saw that with my own eyes. Um, and I guess it proliferated into what, you know, I seen the Mary had a little lamb pans. I seen <laughs> this was where I was, Desperados was up that way. Tokyo was the other way, there were other bands, other places in that area. Mm. And um, as a little boy going to school, it was not unusual for us to stop off by one of those yards and take a little knock and run out. <laughs> but you can't let nobody see you, you take a little knock here and then run out, you know. But Hill 60 was, was the band right there. Look at my little window and boarded up house right there. Seen the 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 Andrew de Labasteed, who was a member of the first task force. He was the leader in sixty. Seen him making pans, seen the convex pans. Uh-huh. And all that stuff like that. Yeah. And um Around 11, we moved away from that era. Went to live in another part of Portsmouth, in a place, Borsia Village. Hmm. But at that time, um, you had to concentrate on school. I was one of the unfortunate ones that had no parents. I was relegated to different family members at any given time. Go stay here, go live here, go do whatever. And um, going to school again, right into school, we'll stop here, take a little nap, stop there, take a little nap. Can be seen by even the neighbors or whoever at that time too there were a lot of, of fighting going on between Steve and, and what they call riots with this band and that band and that other band and you know stuff like that and then when I was like 14, 15 I started venturing into some little bands yeah, but nothing to say I'm a member of this band or I might be going to school and I might pass where the driver is and this guy's down inside of there pumping pan and he would go down there and look it up to see nobody seeing him. Um, then about 16 I think or maybe 15, I can't remember, a guy took me to this band in Woodbrook. So you want to play band? And you don't want nobody to see you. At that time they had the, the white band and the, this band and it says, I'm going to take you by a band. Tell me where to meet him. I jump on my bike. And were, three, four of us went down by this band. And it was, this band was called Hit Paraders. They were know the people. Mm-hmm. was just in there. I couldn't, nothing. Guys, so you want to learn how to strum? There was a guy named Gerald Fernandez and his brother Tommy and start learning how to strum. And it was a safe area because I wasn't living in that area. And so I could go there, play with them, mm-hmm. and then jump on my back and ride home again mm-hmm. with nobody knowing where you are unless kind of all time they might see you in tongue in a band. Right. You know, I remember the first time 
I was seen in a van by my uncle. I was living there. And he said, um, anybody who playing pan in, in, in this house can't stay here. Cannot live here. You have to play like you don't know what he's saying. <laughs> yeah. And I stayed there with it because it was a safe area and they call it a white boy band and they had no fight, you know. Right. So I stayed there and um, I remember quite distinctly playing with them at a party some in St. James and a whole bunch of guys from uh, Tripoli was around, hanging around, and see me. That time you had to sit down and play the pan on your lap. Huh. It was a, a single second, and they said, You should come and play with us. And of course, it was uh, a kind of a surprise to me. They said, You playing you play good. So I left there and I went to Tripoli. And that's where it became worse. Because <laughs> Tripoli was a fighting band. <laughs> and um, quite a few guys not working, <laughs> hanging around the neighborhood, playing in nightclubs, you know. <laughs> and um, I, got, I, got in, I got into that. Still can't tell them home they're playing any band don't bring sticks home, you know, none of those things like that. They yeah. hide the sticks in the pan, yeah. And, um, so I stayed with Tripoli. I, I um, was it, when they started making double pans and um, triple cellos, I played the first triple cello in Tripoli, you know, mm -hmm. 57 or 58, somewhere around. Mm -hmm. And um, this guy thought I was very good. But, but, ex except that I was in Tripoli playing second time and they were going to a steel band competition at, at Roxy Theater and I rehearsed and tell my family to come and right in front of Roxy Theater they dropped me in favor of a bargeon. Because this bargeon said, oh, look, we'll drop Guy, he, he, he just joined the van. They dropped me. Cheers. I said that would never happen to me again. So it, it never did happen to me again anyway. So um, from that Tripoli experience, I left Tripoli and went. I didn't. I didn't leave. Yeah, I left Tripoli and was supposed to join another offshoot at Tripoli. Mm -hmm. And um, when we thought that the guys who were saying, well, we're going to join this offshoot and bring a new band, they didn't come. <laughs> they stayed right there. <laughs> so me and one or two guys looked like we out of place. I said to them, I'm not even staying with these guys anyway. Yeah. yeah. So this time I'm living Dago Martin. No more boss here, I'm living Dago Martin. And um, I remember riding my bike one day and a guy ran out from a, 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 a store and says to me, um, these guys want you to arrange for them. This, this, this was a Pantuna Kobo Jack, to be, to be specific. Uh -huh. Ran out of this store and says, he didn't say, he said, these fellas looking, want you to arrange for them. That time I never, again, I live in Dago Martin, yeah. and I'm not touching no pan in Dago Martin. <laughs> I'm riding out of Dago Martin at night, uh -huh. going to St. James, you know. You had, had you arranged before? No. They just asked you? Just. Because you were a good player. Out of the clear blue sky. Um, I'm trying to piece this together. Did, when I, did I, 
Um, I started hanging out with Kobo Jack really from Invaders you know wrong Invaders banner but I didn't wasn't playing too much in Saturday and I, I knew Kobo Jack yeah. and he said these guys want you to arrange I said me? he said yes I said well how are you going to arrange I don't know nothing he said meet them in the yard tonight and they were right there in Pity Valley, not too far from Riley. So I'm in my neighborhood now. Yeah. So I went and they and started dabbling around. I said, oh, they could want to appoint me as a ranger. I never arranged a tune yet, you know. But I guess they see me around, you know. Huh. And bands playing and stuff like that. But anyhow, um, I started arranging for that band called Stereophonics. That's right, Stereophonics. By the time I'm arranging for Stereophonics, another band named Joyland came and said, We want you to arrange for us. <laughs> but at this particular time now, I'm playing in Invaders, arranging for I'm, I'm, I'm bucking the, the, the system now because <laughs> you can't be in two bands and like, do this. Right. I'm bucking the system. <laughs> You know. Did you get grief for that? Huh? Did you get grief no. for that? We never got, our rangers didn't get paid then. Right. There's nothing like pay. So then nobody gave you a hard time about it. There was nothing like pay. Right. As a matter of fact, a guy told me the other day that they probably owe us a lot of money. Because <laughs> we arranged for state side and this side and, and, and didn't get no money. But anyhow, I stayed with Star Phonics, going festival, and blah, blah, blah. And then 1961, 62, George decided to form a national steel band. I used to play in Invaders during Carnival. Right. And um, I know definitely I wasn't going to get picked from Invaders because they had Cobo Jack, they had right. all these big stars. Right. And Star Phonics guys said, well, you go. Uh -huh. I don't you go because they have said send the arrangers or your best player uh, or the tuner right so they say why don't you go cool yeah. I saw you listed as from Stereophonics right that's right here I am uh -huh. in the National Steel Band they picked 44 guys mm -hmm. and here I am in the National Steel Band Still, I remember stuff. I remember playing during Juve morning carnival with invaders. Did they? They each knew about that. Oh yeah. They and nobody, nobody had a problem. No. Nah. At that time. Yeah. Could have been a problem if I was a different person. What okay. What What happened was when I left Tripoli, there was guys mad at me, and I think I was one of the few guys that left Tripoli living in Diego Martin. I could have ride through St. James without nobody pelting any bottle at me. Because I had my good friend in Triple still there, Clyde Innes. Right. And so yeah. I was well protected. We used to hang out. But anyhow, I got in the National Steel Band. And uh, therefore, you would go with Jack, all the big players. And, we were bored. He was the captain of Tripoli, Bobby Mohammed, Steve Regis, Errol Zeffrin, all these, all these guys in the National Steel from all over Trinidad. Some people said that we had people from Renegades who was a fighting band then. Some people said that. Um, that probably was one of the big things that settled on gun violence for a, for a bit because of these guys from all different bands yeah. playing together and on Rule of Charles. Right. part was, was there at one time. Roger, Robert Greenwich was there at one time. A whole bunch of guys were there. Anyhow, word got out that they wanted the National Steel Band to come to America. 
the, the president of it was in Panchenbego, but the Association of China and Tobago Steel Fan, man George Goddard, they had invited him to come and speak at this big conference, and he says, no, I have a bunch of men, a group of men that could do better than I can. So the decision was made to pick 22 of the 44 guys. Um, the, the people had said all they wanted Trinidad to do was get us to Miami hmm. and they would take care of all the other things and um, but there was no money and you know we had to beg government for money I think government had loaned the man people like 10 grand to get out of Trinidad anyhow but they had to pick 22 out of 44. <laughs> I remember they did distinctly, they're looking to pick 22 men. They have six or four, six. I was playing seconds. They had maybe about six or eight second players, and they had to pick four out of that. You know, say, you know there's Coco Chuck, there's Winston McLean, there's and I was clean, there's guys from this band, crack shots, you know. Anyhow, so it, it the night, they, the day they were picking, it, it took like all day, all night. Just talking. If we weren't allowed in the meeting, they had no people who selected <laughs> inside of there, and you, you know, you don't know who, but the selection committee don't like you, and they might say, you know. But anyhow, I went home and sleep. Then about maybe seven o'clock in the morning, they started. Somebody, grandma came and wake me up. Mm. He said, "Yeah, your name on the radio. Your name on the radio. You get picked to go away." <laughs> so I get picked to go away. She said, "Yeah." Get up, <laughs> jump on my back, and go on in town. I heard in the news here. Yeah. He was one of the men. Four seconds, and you, Kobuchak, this other guy named McLean, this guy named uh, Clean. You are the four second players. Say, wow. And you know, they have to, they have to get uniform and blah, blah, blah. And, um, um, rehearsal now with a hectic pace. And the 22 men who didn't get picked, they quarreling. Oh. <laughs> you know, how you get picked and I didn't get picked. But anyhow, we left Trinidad and we went to Mackinac Island, Michigan. That's right. <laughs> That's right. Flew from um, Trinidad, that was my first plane ride. Flew there, went to. Um, Miami, Miami to Mackinac Island. We landed at an Air Force base <laughs> in Michigan, Kinslow Air Force Base. I don't know if it's still there, but I know they will be where. Get off the plane in utter darkness, huh? and there's a bus in front saying, Follow me, follow me. <laughs> this bus lighted, and we landed. We had to, then the next thing we know, we had to go take a, a boat across uh -huh. the Lake Huron. Mm -hmm. That was a night to remember. <laughs> then they never t said anything to the conference that we were coming in. Uh, we came uh, in in the night. That night, plants came in. Um, they had us. Um, Rehearse in secret that day <laughs> to play the, the night for the conference. There was 1,100 people from all over the world. Oh my gosh! And we rehearsed, we rehearsed. Nobody know in the secret place rehearsing, <laughs> and then they put the pants on stage. And when they announced 
that we are here and it pulled the screen. Yeah. It was pandemonium. <laughs> I saw that and said, wow, is this what pan? And they're not doing this in Trinidad. <laughs> doing this here in America. And I was watching, watching. But before that, we, before we left Trinidad, I, 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 you know, um, there was a question of how we get visas to come to America. Yeah. And I, I remember George Goddard calling the ambassador and saying, Madam Ambassador, I got 22 men to go away, I need visas. And before that, he had said, bring down your passports and blah, blah, blah. And um, I remember when he called the ambassador and he got the pass, we got all our passports. He took, he says, let, loan me a bike. Somebody, anybody got a bike? And he jumped on a bike with the passports and in hand. And in less than an hour, he came back with visas. Wow. That don't have me trained now. But when I open my passport, it says four years. No. <laughs> four years you could go and come to America as a visitor. <laughs> so when we were in America playing and guys, have, we went all over Michigan. I mean, in that area, then we went to the Southwest, we went to Indian reservations, you know, stuff mm -hmm. like that. Um, we played in a lot of Pueblos in New Mexico, like in Santa Fe and... Cool. Albuquerque and all those places. We played in Trinidad, Colorado <laughs> on Independence Night. Um, um, a lot of places. Kentucky, uh, West Virginia, and um, But um, the tour's coming to an end, and guys get in and see they want to go back home, and we went back to Trinidad. And I said to myself, I am not staying here. Huh. Not with a visa that people trying and begging to get, and I have one. Lucky me have one. Mm -hmm. So I stayed with it. We went back in 65, no, 64. In 65, I waited in, uh, until um, Panorama, it wasn't Panorama then, it was Pan on the move. I arranged for Stereophonics and Joyland. They joined up as two bands. So I arranged for them and they made it in the first 10. Yeah. I have it in a book here. Yeah. I came 10 out of 10. You remember the song? Yeah? What was the song? I can't remember the song. Hmm. If it's, um... I think it's for one to you. I have a book here with it. Hmm. Yeah. During that time, I wasn't working. I, I, my mind was on time. I wasn't working. Yeah. So, I know George Goddard, when he was um, president, during carnival season, they used to offer little contracts to put a fence around the savannah. Right. Lo and behold, I got one of them contracts. <laughs> it was like $600. <laughs> but I have to have guys to work with me. Right. So I, I pick, and I have a book at home still with the guys who work on that contract. Mm -hmm. But I have, I have my little diary from the moral rearmament wow. still at home. Different places we go where we played, what I was thinking today, blah, 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 and different stuff because moral rearmament. It was not a religion, but it's, it's something that tried to teach you to live in an absolute way, honesty, purity, love, and all of these different things, and how to advance your morals, and they were trying to teach young people those, those kind of <laughs> things, too. Mm -hmm. um, so, 
me a walk. I get paid and um, I found out it was $212 to leave Trinidad then. Yeah, what was that for? Plane ticket. That was for the plane ticket to New York? To New York. During that, uh, in the meantime, I was talking to guys in Brooklyn. Was that a band in Brooklyn? And one guy uh, told me um, they were looking for him to come up there, but he didn't want to go and put me in touch with the people who were running the band. And they say, yeah, come up, come up. You know, everything will be okay. <laughs> That's another story. <laughs> so then me and my family, who I'm living with, we're not talking. We mad at each other. Not talking at all. But you'd been the, in the national band. You'd toured. Right. That doesn't say nothing. I still ain't working. Oh. Anyhow, um, so so I have this $212 in my pocket, rolled up in my pocket. And if you saw me during carnival time in Trinidad, my right hand was in my pocket clutching the $212. I have nothing else more than yeah. $212 for plane ticket. No money to spend, no nothing. It's $212. I decided to make an arrangement with this guy to take me to the airport. I didn't tell him anything at home. I took my suitcase to my sister's house in town. I spent the night there with whatever little I had in my suitcase. During that day was a Sunday. Um, what day was I leaving? I left that on, on Ash Wednesday. <laughs> so, we sat, um, right after Carnival, Ash Wednesday, I'm leaving out of town. George Goddard, all National Steel Band people was mad at me because when we came back from, from the U.S., some of the arrangers resigned. I was made one of the arrangers of the National Steel Band. Okay. How could you want to leave us now? I'm gone. I said, I'm going. A guy who lived on the same street with me, Andrew Annie said, give me $20 to change, and it became five U.S. dollars. Wow. So beside the 212, I had five U.S. Coming up the road, the guy took me to the airport. You could, could just walk over and buy a ticket. Yeah. Buy a ticket. I have a visa. Landed in Kennedy Airport. <laughs> Wasn't Kennedy Airport then, but... Yeah. Um, so, what was it, Idlewild? I can't remember. But anyhow... I, I, on the plane or in the airport or someplace like that this lady said I know you I know you I said she says you played at Annie's at party uh -huh. and this this was the same one that gave me the five dollars <laughs> okay right so when we got to the airport out get to New York we got off the plane and she saw me outside she says uh, anybody coming to pay? I said, yeah. She says, uh, where are you going? I said, Brooklyn. She says, uh, you have hard American money? I said, yeah, I got hard American money. Five dollars. <laughs> so she, um, husband came and picked up and they were passing. Nobody, I said, no, they didn't come to get me. She said, well, come with me. Uh. And she took me to her house with her husband and you know, and they fed me and I hang out there making calls to Brooklyn huh. and I landed at 3 and they didn't pick me up until 10 o'clock that night <laughs> 10 o'clock that night they picked me up and um, um, and they brought me to Brooklyn to this band 
And why is there Victor and I'm listening to a conversation with where is he going to stay? Are you going to stay with you or going to stay with that one? I said, what the hell is going on? <laughs> Anyhow, I finally get to stay with, with a guy. And hanging out there, you know, going to rehearse, I understand that I was getting like maybe a hundred dollars to arrange for this band because they were sponsored by BWI. Um, but my disappointment was I thought this band was playing every night and in nightclubs like, and going in all these nice places like when I was with the National Steel Band. Right. No. Those guys had to work a regular day job. <laughs> they come and rehearse in a basement. They might have some weekend basement party or a dance. And I said, oh boy. I ain't gonna last too long here, but I bide my time. 65, that was March of 65, so I made it. 66, I missed Carnival. Mm. 67, the airline gave us a ticket to go to Trinidad. I went back, I played in Invaders. That's when I first met Maureen uh, Norell, Andy Norell's father. And he was trying to get Ellie Monet to come to America. Uh -huh. So I played Invaders and came back up in 67 and decided to form my own little band now. Form my own little Cliff Alexis and the Trinidad Troubadours for my own little band <laughs> and started getting little gigs and then there's a war now between me and the other band that I left. Ooh. So um sixty six to about sixty nine no sixty seven I started getting little my my friend Hugh Board mm -hmm. got got with, with Liberace show right. and he invited me to shows and then he got some gigs for me and I started traveling a little bit uh -huh. blah, blah 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 at that time I was married in Brooklyn what were you doing for a day job you never told me that they took me to a pocketbook factory and I stayed one half a day <laughs> took me to a scale company I think I spent 10, ten minutes <laughs> took me to another place with printing to read and I said you're a bright guy I said yeah I know I'm bright <laughs> but I ain't staying here <laughs> so I start getting little gigs hanging out by the bar in Brooklyn and there was a guy by the name of Mouge that used to have a lot of jobs upstate. And he says, I, I need four men. I'm, I'm paying $50 for the weekend. You get food and brother that transport and all he paying is $50. Friday, Saturday, Sunday, $50 for the weekend. Could you imagine that? What did it feel like at that moment for you? Is that good or bad? Bad. Yeah. I'm paying twenty-five dollars a week rent. Oh, ho, ho, ho. So one thing led into this is a long story. One thing led into another, and I started doing a little traveling, going around like Alabama and different places like that. You married, you separate, all kinds of stuff going on. Um, in either um, I went to Reno I lived for three months in Hollywood all kinds of different things like Tahoe how did, Vegas how did you get like a new gig if you were in Hollywood how did you I had a guy who was an agent a manager oh he did yeah he used to be with the Liberace show when did you get with him Somewhere either 69 or 70. Hugh Ball introduced me to him. He, he 
was the he was the um, merchandising man for the Liberace show. All right. But um, he was the from jobs and Hollywood, Reno, Lake Tahoe. And, you know, you're doing state fairs. Yeah. Uh, that's satisfying sometimes to be. That's satisfying, you know. Yeah. So one day, my my first wife said, I'm in Minnesota, I'm going up in Canada, and my kid there, and I'm, you should come to Minnesota. I said, oh, there's a lot of thing going on here, and I went up there. Somebody said, um, there's a performing arts center run by the public schools, why you don't go there? And I took a poem with me. I walked in the office with the poem and set it up and started playing. <laughs> This would be something good for this school. And at that time, they had learning centers all through St. Paul, the district, mm-hmm. satisfying a mandate by the U.S. government for the integration and segregation and integration, uh-huh. where they take kids from all over the city and bring them to these different satellites. Yeah. Some kids in wasn't computer then, but in photography, into performing arts, into anything you name it. And I, I went in there, and um, I had my own pants then. I was using them, and but I went to the pan, and the guy says, um, "Could you wait a minute? I gotta call my boss." I says, "You gotta hurry, you know, because I was just in Minneapolis." And they offered me a job, but I didn't go to Minneapolis. Uh, I was just bluffing. <laughs> so he said to me, he called his boss, and they talk, and they talk, and he says, uh, we want to set up something for you. We'll give us two weeks or something, and we will have, where well, we will take you around to different schools to, to recruit kids to come to the Performing Arts Center for PAN. And I go into these different schools on a two-week trial, thing, recruitment. And um, at the end of the two-week period, I used to see this guy in the audience. I used to wonder, why is he around? Does he like Pan so much? Hmm. And at the end of that two weeks, he says, um, my name is so-and-so. I'm the supervisor of music for the city of St. Paul, so you have a job. <laughs> I got the job. So I'm in at the performing arts learning center. Yeah. And um, two, three years of getting antsy again for the road. Huh. At one, one summer I called one of the people I used to work for this mall company and they says we have a new mall opening and you want to put a band together to come to Tampa, Florida and I went there for that summer I went with before that during that summer I worked the Sergio Frankie show starting San Francisco <laughs> all the way to Boston getting an answer for a guy said man you should be a So I went to Tampa, played, went back to the school and tell him, listen, I want to leave of absence or sabbatical or whatever, and I'm going to take off for a year. <laughs> I went to Tampa in 76, September of 76. I got diabetic in 77, or maybe August of 77 in Tampa. <laughs> At that particular time, it wasn't working. <laughs> Guys giving you trouble. But between, in, in, in the meantime, I started learning to tune. In St. Paul, when the program was going okay, they said, we got money for you to tune. I said, no, not me. 
I could bring some boy to you. I brought practical enough to make the full set of pants. That's right. The loading center. Where'd you get the barrels? It's simple. And um, I used to watch, watch. I said, I'm going to look to you. And so I started digging around because I had a lot of free time. Mm-hmm. Plenty of free, free time. School and that. We had junior highs in the morning mm-hmm. and we had senior high in the afternoon. School and that three. I have keys for the building. Mm-hmm. Why not? But it, I took off then, went to Florida. I was making a few pounds down there to walk in. A problem with these guys. Then I got diabetic. I was in the hospital. I said, I ain't staying here. I called back to school. I said, well, if you're ready to come back, your yeah, yeah, isn't up yet. But come back. Went back to the learning center. And the minute I got there, they says, we're moving this into a regular high school. We're going to St. Paul Central. Went to St. Paul Central. Where they build a performing arts wing, it was a magnet school this time. Yeah. Arts magnet school, dance and theater and time and you name it. Hmm. We had it there. So we came part of the teaching staff there and um, 12 years. Mm-hmm. And I'm making pan. They came by and we didn't need to buy no more pan. But, you know, I started making pan. Yeah. I had a workshop. I, could, I was living across the street from the school. I could be in there any time. That's right. Keep me out of trouble. And um, I remember the U.S. Navy coming near to St. Paul. I went to see them. And but because I saw the Navy Steel Garden trade on many years, so I was quite familiar with the Navy Steel Garden. Yeah. And um, the um, guy said, we have a note you could fix this note. I said, I think so. And I said, bring a hammer, so I fixed the note. And they went up to New Orleans to tell me they want me to come and tune for them. Oh. Back and forth in New Orleans, and I made a plan for them. I can't, you know. After that, Al O'Connor heard them somewhere, and I said, Who made those plans? And he says, This big guy in Minnesota <laughs> took him two years to find me. Really? Yeah. Because, you know, I'm saying I don't want to leave him, you know. You wouldn't even talk to him, though? Yeah. You didn't even talk to him? I mean, were you refusing to talk to him, or he really didn't? In some ways, I refused in some ways, you know. Yeah. But um, we finally started talking, and I started coming and blending the pants. Yeah. And he says, anytime I get a position here, I'm going to bring you here. You got to be assistant chairman. So. And he keep bugging me. I said, no, I don't want to come. I don't. Hmm. We used to do workshops together. Huh. And, um, this one, we was in Akron together, me and him. And he says, I don't feel like coming. Anyhow, that particular year, I had a mass exodus at graduation in St. Paul. All right. Got our kids. Yeah. Because I had three bands, beginning band, intermediate band, and advanced band. Mass exodus. Because I had, another, my advanced band was another band sponsored by um, community arts programs in the arts and sciences. So they used to go places, yeah. you know. And the mass exodus. Went to college, blah, blah, blah. I said, look, I'm tired, I'm gone. So I took a leave of absence from the school in Minnesota and came here mm-hmm. in 85. Right. In 85, they made me an adjunct instructor. 
<laughs> and then in 86, we changed. And I am here full time, and blah, blah, blah. The rest is history as we go along. Okay? Is that all you... Well, I want to know a couple things. I better call this guy. Okay. Um, when when you started coming up here and then when you started touring um, and you were going all over with your agent did you did you did people come up to you like they do now and ask you all about the instruments and did you did you talk about it in your in your concerts ever or was it always just when did you start talking to people about it like you said you did presentations in St. Paul and you went around to recruit did you already well, begin talking one, one of the things that, su- that surprised not only me a lot of us coming out of Trinidad when we were like playing this instrument yeah we never knew that when we got to America we have to be quasi historians <laughs> yeah right <laughs> because the average American wants to know well, how this started do you know this or do you know that or do you know the lyrics for this calypso or, and these are some of the things that we never paid attention to right so when that started what, did you think it was annoying or curious or did you like answering okay. questions no because if you think it was annoying okay I don't know no history of no pan like, you know, <laughs> male or female I, I don't know no history of no pan you know I think you know he came and says, maybe I should take you to Juliet and get a scholarship. I says, to do what? Who is Juliet? <laughs> you know. Yeah. And it, it, then you started doing, I remember like in Birmingham, Alabama, to be specific. Yeah. And then before the big arts fair in Birmingham and then played. I played every junior high, senior high, and junior college in, in, in the city of Birmingham. Oh, my gosh. Around Birmingham. When was that? 70, 71, around that time. Wow. 70, yeah. Wow. So then when you started doing for schools... Then it becomes very apparent that you will have to do little lectures on what this instrument is all about. I know you have to start brushing up on some of the history, some of the things you didn't know, some of the things you refused to talk about. Yeah. Because I, um, you know, that, that's just how it was. Yeah. And so it became a sort of everyday thing now that you go to this school, you go to that school, how were these things made and how are they made and blah, blah, blah. I couldn't make no pun then or whatever, but you have to explain. Okay. So that's how most of these things where you get a state fair to play and you play maybe four shows a day. Sometime somebody's going to have to ask you something. Was it different when you started doing it for kids? At what point did you, was it not annoying? Did you just get used to it and accept it, or at one point? Well, at, at one point, it, it, it became something that you must do. Yeah. You can't play stupid all the time. And, you know, <laughs> at one point, you have to, it, it must do it. Yeah. It's got to be done. So, I, I remember when I first started doing workshops on the college level, I used to take Al O'Connor with me, mm-hmm. and um, maybe Alex, you know, you have 30 people, um, you're not knowing that some are doctoral students, some are masters, some are undergrad, and you're just talking rant, rant and raving in <laughs> your own jargon yeah. that they're not understanding. So maybe I might say what I have to say, and says, there's a professor here now who will give you the real rundown, translate for me. <laughs> Because I realized that that aspect had to be done. Yeah. I wasn't so astute at it in terms of how you talk to a college student as yeah. opposed to a man in the street. Yeah. 
so that and I, I learned from a lot of that how to present and how to do whatever you know yeah because I came from a mimicking society uh-huh. action oriented society that's so well said know, oh over there okay and you take it you use those same skills yeah you see people do things and say oh okay that's how it's being done that's well said but my my great experience is working at a high school yeah that experience I would never forget I would never give up it was one of the best and it's funny that I left St. Paul in 85 and up to like two nights ago student calling me yeah <laughs> Last week, a week before, I was to, supposed to go back up there for a reunion there had last night. I didn't feel like going to the band I played with there. But um, um, students call all the time. You were the kind of person that my dad was searching for when he was a kid. Had no family. Uh-huh. Had no money. You You saved... You saved lives, and you get to know the kids differently in high school. But that was, you know, I never knew about co-ed exp- experience in this country because I didn't have it in training. I had boys school girls school. Girl. Right. And then see people making out and saying, <laughs> "Is that this is a high school?" <laughs> people fighting and girls fighting over guys and yeah. Say, wow, welcome to the real world. Oh, oh, welcome to America, which one? Huh. You know. But that experience, I'll never give up. Huh. Um, I was telling someone the other day, I was watching TV, and a famous choreographer just died, Merce Cunningham. Merce Cunningham. Cunningham. And if I wasn't in that school, among the performing arts, and the dancers and all that, I would have not known who is Merce Cunningham. Yeah. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And different Gustiodano and all these people at um the guy who runs the um the guy who used to run the Harlem uh, dance, dance theater. theater. Yeah. Those guys, one who died and the one artist who were in charge. I would have never known their names. Sure. If I wasn't in that mix. Because I was just not in town. I was part of the performing arts. Yeah. You know, weekly, if we have a show, production meetings, and, 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 and stuff like that. You know, and I says, oh, this is Pan. You know, I'm, I'm here for Pan, but I was not it. I was there for everything. <laughs> Famous dancers, writers, poets. I, I had to experience it there. Um... This um, there was a percussionist. I can't remember his name. I remember I went to a show at the U, and I'm saying, well, what, 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 why I am coming there with these people? But that was the day. Yeah. Um, openings of art gallery. Okay. The wine and the cheese kind of. Thing. <laughs> <coughs> or somebody said, there's an opening tonight at so and so, so and so and so. Are you going? You want to go? I said, to do what? <laughs> you know, yeah. but that was the crowd you hung out with. Yeah. Or oh, dancers telling you, um, well, we're gonna hang out tonight, don't at so and so. Why you don't come down and hang out? A, pe- a lot of people in leotards hanging out and saying, Yeehaw. What the hell am I doing here? <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Yeah. So, and it, it's quite interesting now that some of the names I was able to. To pick it up right away, Moose Cunningham. Yeah. Right away. So wow. Huh. I sure there's people out there in Panama who know who Moose Cunningham is. You know, he yeah. came to the U of M. You know, a lot of the shows that came to the U of M. School board tickets. Huh. You go over there. Cool. Acting. Um, I I never. Had any my good friend um, used to teach acting um, 
improvisational acting, mm -hmm. teaching young black kids, make up your own stories, mm -hmm. improvise, right. and when they get them real interested, then they start bringing real scripts and teaching them to read. Because wow. they couldn't read and they were wow. real happy doing improvisational things because it's not a challenge really to have a script to go home and study. That's cool. But lo and behold, he had that to study and call it acting music and junk, you know what I'm saying, like that. And they could come and play anything and do anything and then as he gripped them, you start bringing them to the other side. Uh -huh. It's just like me teaching kids by road, and, and they're all happy teaching them, and you, then you grip them. They want to play American um, R&B tunes, mm -hmm. and they're all going good. Mm -hmm. And when your time is right, you bring a little piece of a classical snippet and say, play this, and, uh -huh. and they say, um, we should be playing more like this. <laughs> You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And then you get that. And then we play classical music, and they had to dress in white and black. And unbeknownst to me, they went and buy white gloves. No, really? To play classical tunes. <laughs> you see what I'm saying? Yeah. And then you take them, you get a chalkboard in the room, you put the chromatic scale in musical form, you put it in letter form. Yeah. Right. Full space F, musical form, then an F below that. A, then an A below that. Okay? Right. You teach them that. <laughs> and um, you start, you have record player, you start teaching them triads, start teaching them scale, this is this scale. Same people that didn't want to learn that. Right. Oh, yeah. Start teaching them these things, and it proliferated into the fact that I could say to them, I said, listen, we want to transpose this tune two steps up, or half a step up. If you're playing A now, yeah. in this time, what would be the next note up? We go into that key. So everything you're doing here, you're doing it one note up, one note up, one, and they're looking at the board and they're looking at the board. Yeah. Who could read the note, reading the note, who could read the long hand, reading the long hand. Right. And they, they get that, so, and then I start introducing, okay, take the record player, learn this tune. Two of the best tenor fan people, lock up yourself and <laughs> pick out this tune, because those kids had an astute air. Yeah. Stuff I miss on a record, he will tell me, there's a little trumpet part playing over there. You didn't hear that. You know? Mm -hmm. And they would come and tell me, oh, the key is B flat. I say, well, B flat is it. Go, go around and teach the melody. Cool. Then I teach the chords and stuff like that. Cool. The same kids that didn't want to do, you know. Yeah. Stuff like, you know. You know, and, and so you, you have to learn. I, I got all of that out of that simple central experience mm. and I never forget it oh I have no teaching certificate right no college but I'm administering 10th grade test <laughs> but you're a natural educator and a natural communicator I did that for 5 years and I says at the end of 5 years when I get tired and I understand what the system is all about I think oh, it's just a piece of cake Tell the principal, I says, but why am I doing this? I know certified teachers, and he says, come on, you know, you know, just as more than people. <laughs> yeah. I became a student advocate, advocating uh -huh. on behalf of students because I hated to hear a teacher telling, uh, um, get out. If, if the kids in a steel band or somebody, but he shouldn't be in math because I said, but Miss, you know. He, he's playing about 15 tunes by road. Some of them have double stops in them. It's about 80 double stops. Multiply that by two. And he could remember all of that. You're going to tell him he can't come to math. Mm. 
those are the things that I did. Or a pregnant girl come to me and want to tell me something. Um, one of the things I did, I never locked my, my, my desk drawer. Mm. I never locked up my hallway pass book. Mm. I put it on the thing, and you want to go to the bathroom, make up a pass, I'll sign it, go down to the bathroom. If at any time I should hear you weren't there, yeah. or you were someplace else, that privilege is gone. Right. They learn responsibility. Or taking away drugs from people. You know. School lose a bass guitar, and I could go to the house and say, bring the people's bass guitar back. <laughs> Is your mom here? Yeah, I says, I am so-and-so, and I came to collect a bass from St. Paul. Well, I taught the bass. I says, no, it belonged to the school. Huh. These are the things that I learned. Yeah. Know. Since our 2008 interview, Cliff has received many honors, including the Chaconia Silver National Award of Trinidad and Tobago, which is the highest award someone can get from Trinidad and Tobago for arts and culture. He was also inducted into the Percussive Arts Society Hall of Fame and received an honorary doctorate from Northern Illinois University. The steel pan in its music has reached new dazzling heights every year, and I'm so glad Cliff was able to see that. His students and his brilliant wife, Yuko Asada, who is also a steel pianist, tour and composer, tuner and composer, will carry his dream forward. Thank you to all of them. Thank you so much to Cliff. And thank you for listening to this episode of Art Lives. <laughs>